Hello, and welcome to the Roundup. My name is Nick Saba with The Impact. Uh, my name is Dan Nutter. I'm a reporter at the State News. My name is Arianne Olinka, and I am a staff writer at LCC's The Lookout. And my name is Julian Steinbeck, and I am producer for Focal Point News. And we are here today to talk about a few different subjects, kind of all relating to, to East Lansing as well as a bit more of the national later on. And to start off with, I did want to start a bit small and just talk a bit about how Michigan State, as a school, is planning to go back to in-person classes starting next week. Do you guys have opinions on that? Do you think that Michigan State is ready? Do you think that it's okay to do in-person classes? Um. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, um, I, I, I'm, I'm nervous about it. Um, just because, you know, I've, I feel like the Omicron case numbers have gone up. Um, the federal government sent, um, like a health team to Sparrow Hospital to assist them. Um, so I'm, I'm nervous about it. I, um, at LCC, I, we have actually some classes in person now, and I really wish that we did not. Um, every week there's students out with cases or I'm getting texts after class like, hey, I was exposed. So it's really difficult, especially I take care of someone with an immune, immune, immune compromised system. And I think we should be online, especially with the numbers that we're, they're at. Um, kind of on the same boat. It's like I am excited to be back in person because I know I'm I know most people are like tired of being online, especially after a whole year of it. But at the same time, Omicron is still surging throughout Michigan. And for me, it's just the concern of just the case numbers. Will they spike again? That's kind of like the question that I did have. But so my opinion on it is kind of mixed. For me, something that uh, I guess didn't make me angry, but made me a little upset at the MSU administration in general is that, you know, we can't have these 30 person classes in person. But we can have 500,000 people in a basketball stadium altogether, and there's no vaccine mandate or anything for going to a basketball game. You just have to wear a mask. So there's just this kind of obvious division between the academics of the school and the sports. And it just feels like... MSU knows, you know, what makes it what makes it money and is putting that before the well-being of their students. So, if you guys are okay, I know we just kind of briefly talked about that, but we're going to just kind of move right along. Uh would you like to talk about your next uh piece here? Yeah, of course. Uh so my article is a little bit more um national in scope than um, what we just talked about. Uh, so the article that I recently published is called um, MSU, uh, Conservative Students at MSU React to January 6, 2001, a year later. And um, for this article, I, um, you know, I interviewed a handful of conservative students. I interviewed the, um, the leaders of conservative groups on campus and, um, you know, talk to them for about an hour each, asking them about, you know, what what January 6th means to 
conservative students at MSU and how they view it and how their groups are handling it because um you know it it's it's an important topic and I think it's something that maybe conservative viewpoints are not always incorporated into. What was the kind of average conservative viewpoint when it came to January 6th? So I'm I'm hesitant to say that this is the average viewpoint. Um because well, sorry, what were what were some of the different yeah. viewpoints that you heard? Yeah. Um so I, I interviewed one student who is the president of Turning Point who told me that she believed that the election was there was widespread voter fraud, um, enough voter fraud that it was across the country and enough voter fraud that it flipped the election. Um, so that was the only person who I interviewed who told me that that it was what they believed. Um, I had a couple of other students. Um, the two the two main students that I interviewed who are conservative were um, the college Republicans chairman Rylan Bennett and the um, James Madison Co- College conservatives um, president Gavin Webb. And they both expressed disgust towards it. Um, they thought that it was, you know, a disgrace. Um, and they thought it was something that um, conservatives in large needed to move on from. Um, so, but... uh Absolutely. So there is a difference as well. So regardless if you're conservative or not, to take a step back and really look at everything that unfolded on January 6th, I cannot understand how anyone would not see that as an act of terrorism, having an attack on our capital. At least one police officer was killed and others were killed in the events. So regardless of people's voting opinion or whatnot, that this was an act of terrorism. I do want to quickly qualify that that police officer uh, died a few days after due to cardiac arrest. So technically, he didn't die at the Capitol. But yeah, no, that gave him a heart attack. <laughs> and, and two more officers died in the following days from suicide yes. because of how the event played out for them as well. I definitely just had to say, like, when I saw that on the news, like, it was just constantly on my news feed. I was like, this is not happening. Like, I did not know that people had the, really had the power to actually break windows and actually break inside the Capitol building. And that just shocked me because, like, it's all over an election, which it was relatively a very, very good competition between both candidates. But at the same time, regardless of the outcome, I felt like it was just so unnecessary like people died and it just reminds us that they just need to do better especially with this act of terrorism like this was an act of terrorism and i felt like something was done about it but like it still needs some improvements overall yeah um and that's that's why i interviewed um there there was one student who i interviewed who was not conservative um his name's jack wheatley and he um I interviewed him for that very viewpoint. Um, people who saw it as, uh, you know, just something that shouldn't have happened in the first place. But I think what Jack would argue is that that January 6th was a long time coming. Um, 
that something like that was building up and bound to happen. You know, he says at one point, um, like I quote him as saying in the article at one point, that January 6th was viewed as a blip, um, something that just a freak accident that happened. But it was the way that he views it is that it's a culmination of a lot of anti-democratic sentiment and anti-intellectual sentiment that's been brewing within the Republican Party and within the conservative political project as a large thing. Um, and that that was inevitable. Something like that was inevitable to happen. There has been a push towards authoritarianism throughout the globe in the past, you know, decade, two decades, um, starting all the way back, you know, with Nixon. But I'm not going to go into the too much, too much there, Cold War. It's uh, people kind of forget their own history a lot mm-hmm. just because of, of misinformation and and being misguided in a lot of different ways. Um, but authoritarianism, it just – it doesn't help people. People uh, – especially uh, – I have friends across the political spectrum and with – ranging viewpoints uh, from just kind of centralized to, to pretty radical. And everything I've heard from from uh, my friends that are more, more right-leaning is almost disillusioned with what actually happened. Uh, I've heard, you know, it was Antifa there. That's not true. Um, I've heard they were invited. That's not true. Um, there's been things about voter fraud, uh, and as much as, you know, they're, were they, they looked into voter fraud across the United States and simply found no actual data. Um, there was no widespread voter fraud, um, but it doesn't matter what the actual truth is because people believe what their version of reality can, can confirm. You know, but it's a it's a it's a bias. I wish that people would take step take a step back once in a while and and try to look at the bigger picture here of, okay. uh, There are authoritarian leaders that want power simply for themselves. And you can say, you know, like like the Democratic leaders, they also lie. They also cheat. They also do terrible things. However, they're held accountable. They, they really are. Um, for the most part, if something comes out about a Democratic candidate, even if it's not necessarily true, like Obama being born in Kenya, that will stick with them for years. But a Republican candidate can say in a recording how he treats women, and it is ignored. And it's just a, a hypocrisy that I, I, it's hard for me to understand. Uh, for some of the people that you interviewed, how can people handle just this this kind of separation between, uh, you know, what's happening in the real world versus, you know, what, what people want to be happening, what, what Fox News says is happening? Um. I'm not exactly sure if I understand your question correctly. There's just a, I guess, a, a separation between 
reality and what people believe. Mm-hmm. Did you notice any of that when you were doing these interviews? Um, I would say the one time that I really felt like I noticed something like that was when I was talking to um, Gavin and then later Ryland about the voter voter integrity you can't see this because this is a audio format there there were air quotes there. yeah air quotes (laughs) voter integrity laws that have been passed in about 17 to 18 um states and i think that i think that that's probably one of the worst things to come out of january 6 um and i can i feel like i can say that pretty confidently um you know, when you have these these voter integrity laws that are being passed, um, what they end up doing is they end up suppressing the vote. And um, they suppress the vote for, you know, largely historically disenfranchised people like black people, Hispanic people. Um, and I think that that is where I see the most disconnect. Um, you know... Ryland and Gavin both viewed um, Ron DeSantis, who is a Florida governor, as um, probably one of the best options. Um, And I, you know, I won't say like if I like Ron DeSantis one way or the other, but I do think that he has passed um, some laws in Florida that are questionable when it comes to democracy oh i'll tell you right now i do not like ron DeSantis because uh he is insane uh i think is the correct correct word and apologies to all my conservative listeners there are plenty of conservative leaders that i have a lot of respect for uh ron DeSantis is not one of them <laughs> i think there's such a range so not all conservatives but there is definitely a group out there that idolize even leaders they idolize trump some still do they're still seeing it as fact that there was election fraud when it's been proven that there was not they're still calling january 6th a parade even though we saw the terror i can't get over the picture of the officer moving the crowd away from um, government officials we can't I feel like those people are not looking at the facts that there's that separation as the facts are right here, but they're going to come up with these other, these other, um, alternative, facts. alternative facts. Yes. Okay. So if you guys are okay, uh, we can be done bashing on, uh, the entire democratic process and <laughs> we can move on to another story here. Uh, Okay, so the civil trial started for the three other officers um, accused of assisting in the murder of George Floyd this week. Um, That was the topic that I brought. And their criminal case is starting later in June. As we know, Derek Chauvin was tried already, um, both criminally, where he was found guilty, um, of three different charges of murder, and then he actually just pled in the civil case, and he pled guilty. 
I so, can. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. I, I, I was going to ask a question about it. Um, have you been been following it uh, closely the, the the trials? So yes, uh, per- personally, I, I was out protesting to get these officers arrested, um, and I honestly believe number one that none of this would even be happening right now, the trial process, unless there had been that bystander footage that was caught on camera. Is number one that I'd like to start off with. To me, it's scary that, you know, what happens if there is no camera? Uh, What happens if it's uh, an arrest late at night where it's just one person and the officer? I understand that an officer can fear for his life. But in this particular case, uh, uh, watching the video, there's, there's there's nothing. There really isn't an excuse. Do you guys think that had there not been a video, what would have been the outcome? Um, I think if there was not a video, I really feel like that they would have just swept it under the rug. Because I look at, at other um, cases like Trayvon Martin and um, Breonna Taylor. I look at those cases and most times, like, either if there was no footage or no, like, quote-unquote evidence, then it's constantly swept under the rug. And this is why we have all these Black Lives Matter protests that are everywhere. And especially with George Floyd, like, we had the Black Lives Matter, like, protests in downtown Lansing. Um, that actually covered that summer that COVID was still, like, a thing, like, last year or something like that. And it just reminds me that if there's no, like, evidence that's sufficient, then it will be swept under the rug and everyone will just forget about it. Um, I mean, if if there was no buddy there recording the the officer doing that horrific act, I think um, I, I agree that it would be swept under the rug. Um, and I think... History has shown that what ends up happening is these officers get moved. They they either are fired for what they've done, and then they're rehired at a different police officer or at, at a different police force in another town. And so I think that's likely would have what would have happened. I agree, and specifically with Chauvin, this wasn't his first time this he had several complaints of um, excessive force on his file other cases I know have come to light since um, George Floyd's murder so this this is a perfect example of a history of abusing that power so just recently uh, Joe Biden came out and gave an address and mentioned that uh, he basically thought it was ridiculous the idea of of defunding or or rolling back the amount of money that's given to police stations and instead said that we actually need to give more money to police stations in order to to keep the safety as high as possible uh do you guys think that that's a good idea do you guys have you guys uh, heard about that speech do you guys think that that's something that is is plausible or feasible or we should even do it um yeah i'm sorry if you'd like to go ahead oh god um i i don't know if i'll i think that's to be expected from somebody with the political stances of joe biden 
Joe Biden. Okay, so when it comes to, I know we were just got out of politics. I'm gonna go right back in. Um, when it comes to 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 candidates, especially presidential candidates, my issue with Trump is that he is he's worshipped. Uh, he can do no wrong, and to me, that does not make any sense. I don't like Joe Biden either. All right, I I, I do not like. Joe, I just want to put that out there that I don't like him either. And for some reason, that's apparent. Uh, that might be like a, a gotcha, but you should not worship elected leaders. They are elected to do a job that you know to to support and and represent us. And if they do something wrong, they should be held accountable always. Uh, I, I, it, it is hard for me to to worship any politician because they're a politician at the end of the day. It's just difficult for me to trust. Hmm. I also would like to state I very strongly dislike Trump, but I also am not a fan of Biden. That it doesn't have to be one or the other. I second that, and a lot of people automatically assume if you're against one, you're for the other, and that's not true. I literally have to tell people all the time, like, I'm not interested in politics, so um, I'm not liberal, I'm not, you know, conservative, I'm not Democratic or Republican. I just say that I'm apolitical because really I have no interest in it whatsoever because each day is something new with each elected person that's in office. There's something controversial that always happens, so... Really, I'm not for politics. And I could, I totally respect that position, honestly. I wish more people were more apolitical, especially in, you know, t- today's landscape. It feels like, you know, every conversation ends up being, pol- even even right now, you know, we're, we're falling back into talking about politics. And, because it is just such a, a, a constant part of our society. And I think it is because, you know, we just hear about everything. If Joe Biden trips, we hear about it. If if Donald Trump drinks water kind of poorly, we hear about it on the news. Uh, and it feels like it's disingenuous. Like they're just going after every small thing instead of trying to really stick to the, the important news. Agreed. So yeah. specifically on, I have not heard that speech yet, um, but with that decision, as far as funding, defunding the police, I think... The focus should be more on allocating where the funding is going. I know of several great um, community programs to engage with minorities, to engage with kids, to engage with um, maybe a deaf community, to increase interaction among the police. So where are we targeting that? Are we targeting with knowing, you know, Again, back to George Floyd, a $20 counterfeit bill. Do we kill a person over that? Let's focus the training and allocate the funds appropriately. I agree. If there were, like, fundings for, like, better, like, training, like, especially diversity, especially with diversity, because it seems like with a lot of these police brutality issues, it's always brought up with a specific race and well, nine times out of ten is probably the black race or the African-American race. And I just feel like if they're going to fund the police, they needs to be like a training program that's diversified. So it teaches you how to approach each different race for any because we got people from all around the world. And if we just have more diversity training, it would lessen some of these police brutality issues that we've been seeing. I think a lot of people just 
a lot of people think that we've come, you know, so far in terms of, of civil rights issues and, and DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion issues. But uh, if you take a step back, I mean, our grandparents, they're still, they lived through segregation. It's not that far away. I mean, the 1900s, the beginning of the 1900s, you know, 100 years ago, it does. It seems like forever ago, but it's uh, it's not far at all. <laughs> I know it's going around on Facebook now, but it it's such a image to see that if Martin Luther King Jr. was still alive today, he'd be younger than Betty White. That is so recent. Rest in peace, Betty White. <laughs> yes, I had not seen that. That is kind of shocking. Wow. If you guys are okay, uh, we will probably move on to the last subject that we're talking about. So, uh, we'll take it away. Okay, so the recent thing that has been, in addition to the in-person classes resuming next week, um, students are concerned about the buses, especially the on-campus bus routes. And the, right now, they're running on a half-hour frequency which does not do anyone any good as far as I've been hearing throughout social media. Um, right now it's trending throughout all Facebook pages, like socials and campus. Um, it's trending just about everywhere. And each every day I'm hearing like a new issue or someone's contacting President Stanley. And it's like I get the student's point, but I feel like most students don't understand like why the CATA is what it is. And the reason CATA is having these service reductions is because of the emerging bus staff shortage, as well as the university's, you know, virtual start, because we did go virtual for three weeks. So there was no need for buses to be on campus if there wasn't going to be any students. So I think the background of it is students are just upset that the university or CATA hasn't released a statement as it relates to, like, when the buses will be back running on a much frequenter basis. How often do you guys take the buses on campus? I know LCC, but um, do you guys, like, when, when you were on campus, if you lived on campus, how often did you take the buses? Um, so, you know, during the summertime, or not during the summertime, but during the fall up until, like, mid-October, I would say, I usually biked everywhere. Um, and I think that's what a lot of students prefer to do. Uh, but then around like mid October into December, up until the very end of the year, I'm pretty much taking the bus every day. It's cold. Um, yeah, it's, it's cold. cold. Um, and I love public transportation, and it, I yeah, I I, I agree. There's there's a lot of issues with driver shortages. Um, I would imagine, but. I yeah, I mean, I'm 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 upset about this, but I also understand the issues behind it. For me, it's like I caught the bus since freshman year. Well, since the spring semester of my freshman year because I know that prior to it being free on campus, it was you had to pay 60 cents for it, like bus fare. But when it became free, that's when I started riding the bus to and from class cuz I don't have a car or a driver's license. So I have to either walk or catch the bus. So um, in the same token, I do understand the bus shortage because everything is affected with COVID-19. Businesses, universities, 
Um, even hospitals, they are the most hit by this. And I feel like the students just don't understand the impacts that COVID has. And they just want, they want the buses to start running. But then at the same time, do you want like another surge with the Omicron variant? Do you want to be stuck having to wait on several buses? Because the amount of students that catch the bus in the winter is very high compared to the fall because mm-hmm. the temperatures, they dropped. Especially, especially this month, it's very cold. So imagine if it was all these students here and they have to get two or three buses and crowd them. That's like literally a super spreader. And I feel like students just need to be mindful of that issue that we're still in COVID and that we still have an Omicron variant among us. I think overall there has been a a push to like get back to to again quote unquote like normalcy. Mm-hmm. People want to, you know things to to go back to to being normal to go go back to before the virus. And I I think people just have to realize that I, I don't even know if that's possible anymore. Um, it it's becoming a, a part of our lives, and we just have to deal with it and understand the fact that things are going to be kind of difficult. Um, that's not going to stop me from complaining about it, <laughs> but of course not. <laughs> <laughs> but the buses, you know, uh, they're they're needed and they're still being done. It's just at such an an infrequent way now. It's just difficult. So, I want to thank you guys for coming and talking with me today. I really do appreciate it, and I want to thank our listeners for listening to us every week including today. And for now, I would like to do just a quick sign-off. You've been listening to The Roundup on WDBM 89 FM.